Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Kataka Roy, the CEO of Pipeline Equity, an award-winning SaaS company that leverages artificial intelligence to identify and drive economic gains through gender equity. This episode is all about gender equity, and in this episode, Kataka shares her story and why she started Pipeline Equity, what they're doing to help companies through augmented decision-making, how the increase in gender equity increases revenue at companies, why you can't change the gender pay gap by starting with pay, actionable ways that companies can move towards equity, and much, much more in this episode. As always, these show notes are at justcogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Kataka Roy, CEO of Pipeline Equity. Kataka, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm excited to have you on here, uh, talk about your company, talk about Pipeline Equity, and really this issue overall of gender equity. What I would love to start with, though, is just how did Pipeline Equity get started, Kataka? A few different things. Uh, you know, I always tell it in three different, and, and it'll be quick, but three different pieces of my story that impacted it. One is my family history. One is my sort of place in my family. And then the third was my experience in the in the workplace. So very quickly, uh, the first is that I'm a daughter of an immigrant and a refugee. Um, my mom was actually an orphan because of uh, World War II um, at the age of 18 months and then emigrated to the United States uh, when she was 21 for equality and opportunity. My father was a refugee that escaped from Hungary after the fall of the 1956 revolution, uh, lived in a refugee camp for just under two months when President Eisenhower sent Air Force One to bring 21 Hungarian refugees to the United States. And my father and actually my three oldest sisters were on that plane. And so for me, the idea of that I was born in this country, in the United States, and that uh, the opportunities that that um, had provided for me, but also this um, this idea that really the trajectory of my life was impacted by one person in a position of power who stood up and used that that power to uh, positively impact others, and um, so that was really the first, and and that gave me a perspective growing up of my responsibility um, for the opportunities that I had been given. And then I really needed to to do something with that was first. The second is that I'm the youngest of six kids, uh, five girls, one boy. And the there are many things that were legal in my lifetime that I actually <laughs> watched play out uh, for my sisters. And then the negative impact that it had on both them and their families in terms of their economic opportunities. So things like you could be fired for being pregnant, or you couldn't get a business loan as a woman without a male cosigner. Um, you can get a credit card without uh, a male cosigner. And I, you know, I watched that play out and thought, one, I never want to do that. That was one. And then <laughs> yeah. the second one's just this idea that the the gender inequity really had an impact beyond women, which is is what we think of. And then the last piece uh, for me was really my experience in the corporate world. And I'm a breadwinner mom um, for a family of four. I, uh, and I, you know, I, I was a poli-sci major undergrad, was exposed to women's uh, studies, women's issues then, but didn't really think it applied much to me. 
And when I was on maternity leave with my daughter, my boss was optimized, which is a fancy word for fired. And <laughs> so when I came back, uh, I was I had a team I was managing and I was asked to take on two new teams, which is amazing. Uh, but I wasn't offered any additional compensation for those two teams. And I had a male, my male colleague uh, was one pay grade higher than I was. And he also received additional compensation for one new team that he took on. Jeez. And I thought, well, wait a second. Like, I'm this is a great opportunity. Super happy to take it on. And I want to be compensated equitably. And so I, you know, went to my new manager in HR and said, hey, how do you want to make me whole on my compensation? And it was sort of two months of back and forth and nothing was really happening. And so I did my research and found the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act, which changed the statute of limitations for equal pay. And I went to HR and said, this is a Lilly Ledbetter issue. Every time you pay me, the statute of limitations starts over. What do you yeah. want to do about it? <laughs> And to their credit, um, they increased my pay, gave me back pay and increased my level. And it was a great, certainly a story of success. But I also thought, why did I have to spend my time researching my rights in order to be treated fairly? And really, in that moment, you know, I had inherited two teams, which also meant I had inherited the inequities in those two teams. And it really made a commitment that if you reported to me, I was going to do everything in my power to ensure that you both had equity of pay, but equity of opportunity. And I, that was really the beginning of pipeline. And then a sort of that, you know, over the years catapulted into, hey, we really need a technical solution that will make equity a reality at companies. Yeah. And I can talk a little bit about the economic piece of that too. Yeah, I would love to hear about the solution uh, and definitely talk about the economic piece and have a, a few questions on that. But the solution you came up with that exists today, at least with Pipeline. Yeah, so Pipeline actually started with research. Much of my corporate career was either reporting up through heads of sales or CEOs. And I understood, I have an MBA, I understood that if if uh, equity was not tied to financial measures, essentially like outright, it it was a nice thing to do and essentially became optional. So yeah. pipeline, and then that's not, uh, you know, that's not to say anything negative about companies, but as it stands right now, CEOs are responsible for maximizing shareholder value. That's what they're held accountable to. So you, you need to tie to that. So pipeline started with research uh, across 4,000 companies in 29 countries. And what we found was that for every 10% increase in gender equity, there's a one to 2% increase in revenue. And since that time, we've actually collected over a billion data points. I should point out that um, it's intersectional gender equity. So we are gender plus race and ethnicity and age. There's a couple of reasons why that's important. One is, as long as you take an intersectional lens, starting with women is important because or gender, excuse me, is important because uh, women are 51% of the population and 47% of the labor labor base. So we are really the largest uh, uh, um, diverse cohort. So that's one. But the second yeah. piece is that anytime you intersect gender with another diverse factor, such as race and ethnicity or age, so Black women, Latinas, women over the age of 45, they tend to be uh, farther behind younger white women. What the platform actually does is it's augmented decision making. So much like you would use Google Maps or Waze to get from point A to point B, we do the very same thing, but for companies, human capital decisions. 
So from a technical perspective, we connect our API into their HR systems. Typically, they've got a couple of those, a core HR system and an applicant tracking system. When they go to make a decision across the five pillars of talent, which are essentially the five big buckets of decision making, so hiring, we do internal hiring, pay, performance, potential, and promotion, we actually intercept those decisions, run them through our algorithms, and then make recommendations. Gotcha. That That's good to know the kind of the logistics behind it. And then I know I read somewhere in one of the interviews or something you had, you've been featured in, like we could add 512 billion to US GDP if we close the gender pay gap. That's, that's right. not insignificant by any means. Uh, take me through that in terms of how you view what companies uh, actionably can do to kind of help this and overcome this gender equity issue. Yeah. So let's, let me, I will explain that, but let me take a step back. So sure. one of the things that we have, because it will provide the context for that $512 billion, one of the things that we have found is that you can't close the gender pay gap by starting with pay. And this actually ties to that $512 billion. But the reason is that pay is the symptom, it's not the disease. So in other words, pay is the quantitative value you place on your talent, but the actual value you place on your talent happens before that in performance and potential. So for instance, we use natural language processing to read through performance reviews, uh, call up bias phrases, and actually calibrate ratings. Those ratings actually, how you rate your talent actually is the value you're placing on your talent and impacts things like potential, their development for future leadership roles, pay, promotion, et cetera. When we look at that 512 billion, that's actually direct add to uh, the U United States GDP through closing the, the gender pay gap. And that's only one piece of it. W one of the things that we've found, actually two, one is that uh, the gender pay gap actually cuts straight through the, United, the US economy. So I'll give you some examples of what that looks like. Yeah. Uh, women hold, they are 57% of all college graduates, but they hold 67% of all uh, student loan debt. And the reason for that 10 point gap is uh, there's two reasons. One is the gender pay gap, which actually starts before college students enter the workforce. So women are less able to begin making payments and larger payments on their student loans when they're in college. Uh, and then it just exacerbates actually after they're out of college. And then second, uh, the uh, parents are actually less likely to support their daughters financially through college. That's one example of the gender pay gap. The other, uh, another example um, of that is that actually most women sit under the social security savings cap in terms of their earnings. So yeah. we could actually close the social security savings gap by a third if we close the gender pay gap. And that's about a 14, little over $14 trillion shortfall. So the, this gender pay gap is not, it's not only about women or about families, it's actually <laughs> about the US economy and everyone. You know, shoring up uh, social security is good for everyone. Increasing the economic footprint of your company is good for everyone. Ensuring that uh, folks can actually pay off their student loan debt is good for everyone. The, this idea that it's an over there problem from an economic perspective is just simply not true. We, we can choose how we pay for people. We cannot choose whether or not we pay from them. And that's really that perspective of, for instance, that $512 billion. 
Gotcha. And one of the things you had mentioned is we can't start with pay. You mentioned the performance reviews, the language as well. For the you know CEOs listening, the leaders at the companies listening right now, what are some then actionable things they could do today that they could start implementing today? Obviously, using pipeline would be a great way to obviously help that. But like, what are some things for people who are listening that they could do to help this? Well, you know, I talked about the three, this idea that you can't, that we've found, you can't close the gender pay gap by starting with pay. And what we've discovered through that is there's really three key decisions that companies make across their talent each year, which is performance, potential, and pay. So the average Fortune 500 company has 60,000 employees. That's 180,000 opportunities for them to move toward equity each and every year. And more broadly across the Fortune, the entire Fortune 500, there's 30 million employees. So that's 90 million opportunities to move toward equity each and every year. One of the things that we find um, is there's a fair amount of diversity fatigue out there and what I mean by that is looking at where you're over-indexing and under-indexing. So for instance, companies tend to over-index on awareness. So this could take uh, the, the, um, an example of this would be unconscious bias training. Companies spend $8 billion each and every year on unconscious bias training, but they under-index on action. How does, how does that actually translate to my employee experience? Yeah. So, you know, to give you an example, if you're a company that signed a pledge or that has done unconscious bias training, and yet I still have to stand up to be paid equitably, you're over-indexing on awareness and under-indexing on action. The other thing that we see, and this is a really, really a, an important piece uh, for the brand messaging at Pipeline and, and our view of the economics of gender equity, and quite frankly, ties back to my experience as the daughter of an immigrant and a refugee and sort of this idea of you're either with us or you're against us. And we didn't view it through that. We looked at it as uh, the the everybody sits from a gender equity perspective, it's a continuum. It's either, it's not binary. You're not either for or against. It's a continuum and everybody sits somewhere on or stands somewhere on that continuum. You got to meet people where they are and bring them along. And when you look at it through the lens of the economics of gender equity, it truly is about economic opportunity for everyone. It's not about making someone wrong. That might feel good in the moment, but it doesn't actually move us toward a solution. Yeah, and that's an important point you bring up there. And I know you, uh, her. Obviously, you mentioned one example of when you fought for your own, you know, equity in terms of the company you were at. For other women out there as well, then I mean, what are some things if they're at a company and they're doing a similar similar situation as you? What would you suggest they do or how are they? How should they go about it? Because obviously it's an issue right now. I'm really curious about that. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things that we fundamentally believe is broken with the system is that we one of the things we tend to over-index on is teaching women how to be in the workplace. That is, for years, diversity, the focus on increasing gender diversity have been, has been focused on fixing women. Some examples of what that looks like is teaching women to negotiate or teaching them to apply for jobs or teaching them to end the uptick in their speech. And the issue is that women aren't broken. The system is broken, right? The system was not created to value them equitably. uh, And so we need to fix the system. 
so so the and really a lot of our labor laws and our structure is not based on proving that we're being equitable. It really relies on the person who's experiencing the inequity to speak up. And by definition, if you are experiencing inequity, you are not the person with a position of power, right? Because yeah. you would fix it if you had it. <laughs> exactly. And so, right. And so, the thing that we focus on, and 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 folks can go. Uh, we have an equity for all report they can download. Um, it's also an election year. We're nonpartisan, but there we also uh, published a how to vote for gender equity uh, in the twenty twenty elections and beyond. Our recommendation is really to ground in the data and the facts yeah. and then couple it with action, that that's where we need to uh, move toward it really in pursuit of equity for all. And, you know, one of the things that we have actually done, we don't only close gaps for women, we also close gaps for men. We find that men have pay gaps as well and men have uh, uh, performance rating gaps. And so we actually fix it for everyone. I love it. That's awesome. I mean, it's it's such a obviously we've talked about this in the beginning, but it's such a massive issue and is a system issue where yeah, it's like you want to have like oh, how are women who are struggling with this right now deal with this? But then it's also like well, the system's broken, so you need to fix the system. But then people are suffering now in terms of it, so it's a, a chicken and egg almost type of situation of like well, we need to fix the system, but also there are women that obviously have this problem right now with with it. And then uh, that's such a tough thing to deal with. And then anything else on what you would advise companies that are sort of thinking through this from the, from the very beginning in terms of how setting things up, processes in place, uh, how they go about this to really have uh, the best possible company? Because there's a lot of people that are early founders listening to this show. Uh, how can they set up from the, from the jump, from the start? Yeah, I'll answer your question. I I will answer your question. I do want to just address the one thing. I don't think they are mutually exclusive, right? If there are women that have this issue right now in terms of inequity, uh, it, it shouldn't just rely on them speaking up about their situation. It, yeah. it should more rely on sort of using data to actually fix the system. And yeah. from a CEO's perspective, quite frankly, our economy is at stake and it, with what's happened at 20, in 2020 to women's labor force participation if we actually don't do something about this. But for founders who are maybe early on in their journey and thinking about this, I would look first at your numbers. What not just across your company, but for instance, if you're a tech founder, look at your tech team, look at your sales team, look at your product team. What uh, what does the composition look like through the lens of intersectional gender equity? So not just siloing it by gender and race and ethnicity, but how many people of color, how many women of color do you actually have in your company and what roles are they in? Because it's not just about understanding the demographics, but who is actually speaking to you and giving you their lived experience. And, yeah. and that matters. You know, we often sort of, count, we count our women, we count our people of color. That's not the way to do it. We should look at those demographics, <laughs> right? And then we also yeah. silo it. And, and the <laughs> right. issue right through the, and our, our customers see this, is that if they were to just look at it, you know, gender in one uh, vertical, uh, uh, race and ethnicity in another vertical, without intersecting it, it doesn't look great, but it doesn't look all that bad. When yeah. you actually look at it through an intersectional gender equity gap, I'll give you an example. 
one of the things that we found is that the gap for black women, the promotion gap is twice as big as women um, as an entire cohort. So that's why the intersectionality matters. So if you are a founder, I would really look hard at your numbers and who reports to you and what does your leadership team look like? And how can people actually proactively bring up this issue? How do you actually um, engage uh, people to raise issues that they have? How diverse is the slate of candidates that you're looking at? How are you ensuring that their voices are actually heard? All of those pieces and their lived experiences um, bears out actually in their experience at your company. All of those things matter in terms of really creating a company that is truly inclusive, not just looks inclusive from the numbers, but also is inclusive in terms of people being able to share their lived experience. And Katika, where can people go to learn more about Pipeline and connect with you as well? Uh, PipelineEquity.com. Katika, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. It was great to be here.